Well, good morning. Good to see everyone. Let's dive into scripture. Take out your Bibles. If you don't have one, there should be one under the seat in front of you. I have some uh, good news for you, and then I got some more good news for you. We're going to be talking about the love of God for each and every one of us, and that's going to come through uh, four stories where Jesus is going to talk about lost things that are found. We are in part 60 of our Being Jesus series, and I entitled today's message, Lost and Found. I didn't say I was being creative. I didn't say it was new. I just told you the, the title, Lost and Found. And, and if you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard this phrase, the lost, right? And, and what, is that, what does that even mean? If you're new to church, you're kind of like, what are, you, what are you talking about, lost? Well, the idea is this. All of us were created by God to be with God. And if we are not with God, then somehow we've gone away from God. Makes sense? It's not, it's not super deep. And if you're away from God, you're not home. And if you're not at home, you're lost. That's the whole concept. However, to make it more personal for us, lest we all think that I'm only talking about people that don't know Jesus at all, let's redefine the phrase lost as disconnected. Are you disconnected from God? That can be a lot disconnected. That can be a little bit disconnected. But if you are disconnected in any way, shape, or form, to that degree, you are lost. Why is that important to know? The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you that was given you at the front door is this. Jesus came to rescue the lost. Jesus came to rescue the lost. Jesus is not all right with you being lost in any way. He's not okay with you being dry spiritually. He's not okay with you feeling disconnected from him. He's not all right with you having the weight of guilt and shame upon you. He's not all right with condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's not okay with you bored. He's not okay with you apathetic. He is not okay with you hateful or spiteful or wrestling with the garbage of your past. He is not okay with any of that. So his love compels him to do something about it. So he is going to continue to pursue you and stir up things in our lives that we might come alive and be connected in all areas. Let's go ahead and dive right into passage, Matthew 18, verse 10. We're not going to have them on the screens, obviously. We're going to have them in our physical Bibles because the majority of everything we're going to cover is in Luke. However, the first story of Luke has a parallel passage that's almost identical in Matthew. But because they're different contexts, I would like to keep them separate. We'll just read them kind of straight through. But Matthew 18, verse 10, page 823 in the Bible under the seat in front of you. Jesus had been recently talking about little kids. So I ask you a question. How do you think God feels about little kids? You think they're important or not important? Well, they're critically important. However, in Jesus' day in the Middle Eastern context, children had very little value. Uh, they were not considered very often. They were not uh, thought of as very important. They had no real voice. 
and they were kind of only useful insofar as they grew up and could do something. They didn't have any rights, especially in the Roman world that where they were uh, oppressed by the Roman government. The, the Roman world was the power of the father. He had the power to kill his children and not to be held accountable for it. So the children didn't have a lot of importance. Jesus wanted to make sure that in his team, that was different. He wanted to make sure that children were seen as highly valuable in the eyes of God. So periodically, he would bring a child in and say, you need to become like a child. And he would say that children were important. Well, this is one of those. That's the context as we begin in Matthew, at least. Matthew 18, 10. Jesus said, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. See that you don't treat them like they're nothing. See that you don't ignore them. See that you don't just wander past them. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Let's pause right there. What does that mean? Does that mean guardian angels? Is that what it's saying? Is it saying that, that every kid has a guardian angel, one that's assigned to him specifically or her specifically? Do we all get them? Do we lose them when we start getting older? Right? And he's kind of like, hey, man, you're 12. I'm out. Right? Is it, is it that every person has their one angel? Like mine's like named Rick and he hangs out with me and, and he's like, man, dude, I'll trade you for lands for somebody else. I hate this guy. You know, is it kind of one of those, man, I sure hope he dies so I can get another one. Is that what it means? Does it mean that Rick's going, I wish I could do something else, but I'm kind of chained to Lance. Is there only one individual guardian angel for every one person? No, I don't think that's what it's saying. And I can understand where you could go that route. I think that the, what it means a little bit more generally is that angels carry out God's business towards his people. And what I mean by that is that angels carry his messages. Angels bring his protection, right? It's that when God wants something done, he could do it himself, but he chooses to use angels to do it. In the same way that God could display the gospel all over the world by himself, but he chooses to what? Use us. So he doesn't have to, but he likes to. So angels have jobs to do. And what angels do is they watch over God's kids, God's family. And what Jesus is warning is saying, if you dare harm one of my little ones, understand they got bodyguards around. And those bodyguards see God face to face. That's important. Don't mess with little ones now in a day and age where there's a lot of child harm this is a pretty weighty statement right i mean there's a lot of abuse and neglect and garbage that goes on towards kids today you think jesus is all right with that you think he's just going to ignore that when they are his precious little ones when they have angelic bodyguards don't you think that there would be a certain degree or angels are going Father, let me at them. Let's go. I'll, I'll tear them apart right now. That's the way they're treating my child? No way. So Jesus is bringing down a very heavy concept upon them of saying, do not despise or ignore the little ones. Don't treat them badly. But Jesus also uses little ones in a double sense. He also uses it to describe new believers 
when someone is brand new in the faith, they're like a child in the faith. Everything's new to them. They're in a learning curve. They don't quite know what's going on. They're kind of awkward and stumbling through. They're figuring out what it means to pray and how do you use the Bible and all that stuff. That is all entirely appropriate. And indeed, if you know any brand new believers, they're like baby giraffes. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of that awkward, whoa, right? Trying to find their footing and everything. And, you know, half the time they're doing this and half the time they're doing this and they're trying to sort it all out. That is entirely appropriate. And God says, while they are still forming, while they are still just out of the egg, you better protect them. You don't mess with them. You don't manipulate them. You don't allow them to be harmed. You shield them. That's what we do. Don't mess with them. Right? And in order to explain that, he uses a parable. He said, what do you think? Verse 12. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, what's this one say? Listen up. This is deep. Truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. It is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. We're going to talk about the sheep part in the next one in Luke. So let me just use the closeout part. It is not the will of my Father that one of them shall perish. God takes every one of them individually personal. In our culture, and this is what I need you to Allow to soak in your spirit. There's information that I'm going to give you that's my opinion, and I want you to take that with a grain of salt. I may be right, I may not be right. But then there's information I'm going to give you from God's word that is direct from him. I want you to open up the gates of your heart and let it soak in. This is one of those statements right now. You ready? I need you to own this. You are individually and personally and passionately loved by God. That is a fact of scripture. And Jesus says that over and over and over in a million different ways. Okay. Now you can close your heart because I'm about to get into my opinion. All right. Maybe you didn't have a parent that told you you were infinitely loved. I grew up with two parents that reminded me of my love all the time. That is not normal. I understand that. I understand that for my parents to constantly tell me that I was valuable is not all of our experiences. But what I need you to understand is just because your parent either did not know how to love or did not feel love themselves or was still dealing with baggage or was distracted or didn't know how to be a good parent, regardless of all of that, it does not change the fact of God's love. Just because they can't convey the information very well doesn't mean it's not true. You are individually, passionately, and personally loved by God. That is critical. Let's go on to Luke chapter 15. Just jump two books to the right. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Page 874. Similar story, different context. Jesus is hanging out with some Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders of the day. A lot of them were wealthy. 
And it was kind of the wealthy religious aristocracy that looked down on everybody else. In their mind, there was really only two groups of people. There was people like them and everybody else. And the way that they looked at it was if you were not focused on all the laws and trying to do every outward thing right, meaning all that God asked and then everything God actually didn't ask, but all that was added in, all the rules and regulations. If you were not obsessed with that sort of stuff, you were a loser. And the way that they viewed it was if you're not going to put in the effort to be hyper-religious, you're probably going to hell and that's good. That'll give more room for the rest of us. So there was no real compassion. There was just kind of like, hey, if you're in that other group, we're going to call you sinners. We're going to call you whatever. And we don't care about you. You just need to go. You're obviously an enemy of God. You don't take him seriously. So you might as well just go away. That was kind of their attitude. Well, Jesus didn't like that. So he told this story. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners, those are all the people they didn't like, were all drawing near to hear Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, kept grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, remember in that day and age to eat with someone was to associate with them and call them a friend. You don't just simply go to lunch with someone without establishing a connection, at least socially. Okay. So Jesus told them this parable since they were complaining He said, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Why go through all that work to get back a sheep? Are sheep that important? I don't know. I'm an animal lover, so I think they're super important. But what about you? Maybe you just kind of think of them in more of an animal husbandry way, more of a 4-H way, more more of a practical way, right? Maybe that's how you view them. Well, here's why it's so important to leave the 99 and go get the one. Because let's say you're a hired shepherd. Your job is to bring home 100 if you are tasked with watching 100. If you do not, it comes out of your pocket. So you better have some type of proof what in the world happened to that sheep. If you say that it died, you better bring back a little lammy ear to show that it actually died. Because if they think you're selling it on the black sheep market, right? You know what I mean? Where you're getting cash for it, that's not all right. So you better show proof. So you will look all day long you will go into the night and all the rest of the people in the village know you're out there at night it's not really safe out there they know that you're going to get busted if you don't get it so when you do bring it home everybody celebrates i always thought growing up that this parable was just bad management And here's why. I was always thinking, why in the world would you abandon 99 to go after one? That's terrible odds. Why would you do that? You know, you go off and you go, I found it. And all the rest are mauled by lions, you know. And and what I didn't realize is that the assumption is when you leave the 99, the other shepherds who are hanging out with you, they watch over them. In other words, that you only leave the 99 when they are safe and secure. Then you go after the one. And I went, oh, okay, that makes me feel better, right? 
The other reason why you would go to the nth degree is because if you're not a hired hand and it's yours, they're pets to you. Remember, we've talked about this a number of times. They raise them not for meat, but for the products like wool. So you had them for a really, really long time. You'd call them by name. They were all individual. You had little Blarney, the sheep that leans to the left, right? And so you would watch out if Blarney doesn't show up and you're like, hey, he's gone. You're going to go find him because nothing's right until Blarney's home, right? And sure enough, Blarney wanders away. Why did he get lost? Because he's dumb, (laughs) right? Okay, so now I want you to think about it. How many of us are not connected to God because we're dumb? That would be me, all right? So I'm kind of in the Blarney category, the dumb Blarney category, because here's what he does. He's kind of like, hey, mm, this is yummy grass. You know what would be better grass? That grass over there? And he's wandering over and he's eating. He's like, look, shiny object. And he wanders over here. And all of a sudden he's like, "Uh, guys, guys? And he's all by himself. Oh, I'm sure they went this way. And he's kind of wandering over, right, leaning to the left. And then all of a sudden he realizes, oh, man, I lost my GPS. I don't know how to get home. And, right? That's how he got lost. He got lost because he's dumb. And what God is saying is saying, I get it. I understand that there's a lot of just kind of cluelessness going on. And it's kind of distraction and wandering. And he said, I'm coming after you. I know you're lost. You're probably not going to find your way back. All right. I mean, even if I give you a hundred years, you're probably not going to find your way back. I'm going to go get you and I'm going to put you on my shoulders and I'm bringing you home. Real quick question. Why is the lamb on his shoulders? I always saw this in the old nativity scene, right? That there's always the shepherd who's kind of holding the lamb like this. Here's what's super funny to me. It depends on what church culture you grew up in. All right. Uh, quick show of hands. How many of you grew up in the fire and brimstone style? Anybody who grew up with that? All right. Yeah, a good amount of you. All right. Here's why the lamb is on your shoulder. You know this, right? Why is the lamb on the shoulders? Because you broke his legs. All right. Here's how, here's how it was, is that they said, if the lamb keeps wandering away and you need to bring correction, you snap his legs and then you have to carry him around while the leg heals. So he'll never run away again. Okay. That's what I was taught growing up. All right. Now, if y'all grew up in the grace era, right, or on the grace side of town, then you all think he has him up there because it's kind of like a pet and there's no point in constantly going, Blarney, 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 look at me, Blarney, Blarney, the whole way. You just shove him on your shoulders and you carry him home, right? It's just a kindness thing, all right? Either way, notice that there's no complaint by the shepherd of having to carry the sheep. He's rejoicing, going, I'm all good. It's not a big deal. Because a lot of us are like, Lord, I'm so sorry. The whole time we're coming home. He's like, I get it. I appreciate you're sorry. Right? We already talked about that the first 30 times. Let's talk about something else. All right? I get it. You're sorry. All right. Let's move on. Uh, it says there's more joy in heaven over the repentance of a sinner. Why in the world is everybody so pumped up when a sinner repents? Because they know where you were headed. They know what was going on. They know the real complications. When we sin, it's no big deal in our minds. How do I know that? Because you do it again. If it was a super big deal, you probably wouldn't. Okay? So, if you saw the implications of what you were doing, you would change your behavior. 
we do not see the implications of what it means to be disconnected from God. Okay? So look, give you an example. A lot of us are disconnected from God in various degrees, and we don't understand why that's such a big deal, because we're not doing a lot for God. Okay, we're not doing a lot with God. So if we're disconnected slightly from God, it doesn't change whether we watch Bridezilla's with God or not, doesn't matter. Whether we, you know, if, whether we're really good at making cabinetry with God or not, doesn't really matter to us. It's when you are engaged in ministering on God's behalf, loving other people, praying with other people, engaging in constant advancement of the kingdom. And I'm not talking about as a job. I'm talking about as a lifestyle. When you are constantly in connection with God and you crave to need his power every day and his grace new every morning and you're personally connected with him, then it matters. Then if there's a demotion of that, it bugs you. But if there's no real being with God, doing with God, then what does it really matter if you're a little disconnected? It's not a big deal. Ah, the angels know what a big deal it is. They understand what it means. If you are fully connected to the vine and you are the branch, you will produce good fruit. They know what it means to be less than. They know what mediocrity means. They know what compromise means. And for those that do not know Jesus at all, they know what hell means. They can see it. We don't see it. They see it. So that's why they're super excited when we come home. Verse 8, he said, I got another story for you. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. Okay, what what coins are these? They're silver drachma worth about a day's wages. Is this all her money? Did she just lose one-tenth of her entire money to live on? Maybe. Now, one thing I didn't know until I did my research, and maybe you were taught this growing up, but that in the culture... Some women had a tiara made out of 10 silver coins, 10 silver drachma. Um, It would be like a little crown, and it was for their wedding day. It was part of their dowry, and it was almost like their wedding ring. They would weave 10 coins into the wedding band. Is it possible that's what we're talking about here? Did she just lose part of her wedding ring? Did she just lose a diamond out of her wedding ring? Is it emotional as well as financial? I don't know. But when she loses it, She scours the house in a poor person's house. They either didn't have a window or a little tiny window. And the ground was all dirt covered with um, reeds, dry reeds, so that it was a little softer to walk on. But imagine losing a tiny coin underneath a ton of hay. Is that going to be hard to find? Well, yeah, you got to sweep the entire house and relay everything down just to find the coin. What is that supposed to mean? I don't know. What length is Jesus going to go through to make sure you're connected? Do you understand his love is making him go to such extreme lengths to where all of a sudden there's things even like this. Have you ever, have you ever felt like this? Uh, man, I was driving down the road and all of a sudden this song came on and it was talking about this theme. And then, and then I was watching this TV show and the same, same theme came on. And then I end up going to church and it's like Lance has a webcam in my house. And then he's talking about it and he's talking about the exact same thing. Do you understand? That's God all over you. 
That is sweeping the house. That's like, no, 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 you will be connected to me and I will hound you down until you know me more. The other thing that's intriguing about it is that how did the coin get lost? Well, somebody was, somebody messed up. That's, that's how the coin got lost. The coin, it wasn't the coin's fault. The coin was just being a coin, right? And the coin's never coming home unless someone finds it. The coin's not going to accidentally wander back. It just stays lost. There are some of us that maybe because of how we were raised or there's people out there in our neighborhoods that because of how they're raised, not only does Jesus not exist, but he's a bad guy if he does exist. And they have been trained up to avoid all this stuff like the plague. And they're not coming home. Not unless somebody comes and rescues them. Not unless Jesus saves them. That's what he wants to do. And when she found the coin, she calls together her friends, verse 9, and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, I got a third story for you. He said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Pause. Uh, most of you know the story of the prodigal son, right? Many of you are familiar with Tim Keller's book, Prodigal God, right? Prodigal means reckless. And you're going to see why he wrote that here in a moment. But let's, let's establish a base so that everybody's on the same page. Here's what just happened. You need to go back to a Middle Eastern ancient concept. In that context, if you go to your parents, the way that it works, according to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, is that the older brother, and there's only two boys here, the older brother gets a double portion. That means he's to get two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son is to get one-third of the inheritance. But when do you get inheritance? When someone dies, right? So in essence, what he simply did was go up to dad and say, hey, dad, can we just pretend you're dead and you cash out and give me the money? Do you understand how insulting that is? Uh, in that culture, that's worthy of stoning to death. Okay, once again, let's slide back. Now, even though it wasn't happening a ton in that day, the Old Testament law was if you dishonor and disobey your mother and father, you can be stoned to death. That's, there's no this messing around, I'm going to mouth off, I'm going to do whatever I want. This is like, we will kill you, right? So that serious concept is now a blanket over the story that if this kid actually does that, it goes public, he leaves, he's never coming home. If he comes home, there will be people waiting with rocks going, how dare you treat your parents like that? Notice the father doesn't argue. He cashes out. Doesn't that sound like, what are you doing, man? That's craziness. In essence, it seems that he's saying, really, is that what you want? You want that more than me? All right, let's go. Let's play that game. You want to go? Here, I'll give you everything you got. I'll give you all your gifts and talents and everything else. You go run off and do with it what you're going to do with it. Do you think that there's a lot of people in this world that were created by God, given tremendous gifts and talents, but don't have anything to do with God? I think they're in that category. Not many days later, verse 13, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. That's where you get the prodigal son. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was no longer, and he was longing to be fed with the carob pots that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. I think you're pretty much at rock bottom when you're laying in a pigsty wanting to eat the pig food, but no one will even give you pig food. That's, that's God's way of getting your attention, right? That's the whole, all right, everything just dried up on you. This isn't working, right? Why did the sun get lost? Was it accident? No. Was it someone else's fault? No. He's lost because he wants to be lost. That is flat out rebellion. That is, I know what I should do and I'm not doing that. That is, I want out of here. God, I want nothing to do with you. I am not interested in you. Everything about you makes me feel sick to my stomach. And I want out of here. I don't like religion. I don't like Christianity. I don't like church. I don't like any of those people. And I want nothing to do. I'm going to do my thing. So give me my cash. I'm gone. That's actually called rebellion, right? Does God even love those folks? Absolutely. Watch how he responds. Verse 17, but when the son came to himself and he said, wait, 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 how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? Man, I got to get up and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven before God, before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You got to treat me as one of your day laborers. I get I'm not family anymore, but just let me work for you. Why would he think that his father would even receive him? Because he knows his father's a good man. He knows that his father's a compassionate man, but he also knows how far he's gone. So he's not even expecting to be welcomed back into the family. He's like, I just don't want to die in a pig slop. I would rather be fed at home and be disconnected. I know what I am. I own what I've done. So I got to go back and I have to talk to dad. Notice that the dad didn't go get him. Have you noticed that part? He's over in a wild country and he waits for him to come home. Why? Because if he went and got the rebellious one, that's called enabling. You know what I'm talking about? That's the, oh, no, 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 let me just cater to you. He knows, the father knows you know the address home. You know where I'm at. You know how to come back and get me. So it's not a matter of you being lost. It's a matter of you wanting to be gone. So therefore, I need you to want to come home. But it's really hard on the father's heart. Verse 20. And so the young man arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Pause. How did his father see him from a long way off? He's watching for him. Hmm. And you get this picture of every day the father's kind of leaning out and looking anything and then his heart is broken as he goes back to his job if you have a son or a daughter that's not walking with the lord how many days do you think of them every day and you're looking god what about now god what about now and everything that comes in from them you read with this lens of are they changing don't you i mean isn't that funny every email every you're just checking in on everything Oh, how should I read that? Maybe this means that they're coming back. And then you find out it doesn't. But you're checking every day. 
when he saw him from a distance, he felt compassion. That means he was moved deeply emotionally and he ran and embraced him and slobbered all over him. Why is this unusual? Because Middle Eastern men don't run. Uh, It's dishonoring. It's embarrassing. It's not how their culture works. And therefore, you're to be a pillar of the society. You're supposed to stand there and be the stoic one. You're supposed to be the one that allows the sinner to come and beg you. And he breaks all that and runs to his son and lavishes him with kisses. Is that what the son is expecting? Absolutely not. Is that what the son deserves? Absolutely not. That's why he's a reckless God. His love is over the top. It's not even appropriate. It's extravagant, right? And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. In other words, he has this whole memorized thing he's about to get through. But in the Greek, his dad cuts him off. Like going, yeah, 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 blah, 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 blah. And the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. What does all that mean? It means, man, grab the best robe in the house. Whose robe is that? His, the dad's. The dad already cast out one third of his entire estate for this kid who screwed up everything. Yet he gives him more. He gives him his own robe, the best in the house. What does that mean? It means he restores full honor. He said, put a ring on his finger. That's a signet ring. That's full authority. He said, put shoes on his feet. Why? Because slaves didn't get shoes. Only sons got shoes. That's a full restoration of sonship. And so there's this full restoration. Then a fattened calf that was prepared for another party that party gets hijacked so that he can celebrate his son coming home is that how he should have responded he didn't care what you thought that's how he responded do you understand why he told this story to the guys that were grumbling that he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners but the story's not done now his older son was in the field oops we forgot about him And as he came, he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. That's weird. How come he didn't set up the party? How come he wasn't involved in the the preparation? He is the master of the entire estate past his father. Is there a reason why he's out in the field? Do you think that they're very close? That he doesn't even know this is happening? No. Incredibly distant. Oh, he lives at home, but he doesn't live at home. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but the older son was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, begged him. Notice that the father has to go to the edge of the property for one son and go to the edge of the property for the other son. Both sons are disconnected from him. He begs him, but the boy answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I could even celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours 
He comes who's devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me. All that is mine is yours. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and he's now alive. He was lost and now he's found. Are we all tracking on who the older brother is in this story? It's the Pharisees, the religious leaders that want nothing to do with the kingdom of God because those sinners are in there. How dare God give them a shot? They don't deserve it. They deserve to go to hell. And what about us? We're here doing everything righteous, doing everything excellent, doing everything perfect. We're following every law, rule, and regulation. And what do we get for our efforts? Nothing. Do you understand how wrong that attitude is? The father goes, I thought I was what you wanted. That doesn't even matter to you, does it? You want my stuff. Is that what you want? Do you want me to kill a bunch of goats for you? Is that what you want? Or do you, are you happy being home? You're not even doing this out of love. You're doing this out of responsibility. You're doing this because you have to. You're doing it because in your mind you're moral. You're doing it because that you're Mr. Self-righteous. You know what? Your brother needs to repent for the bad things he's done. I get that. You need to repent for the good things you did. You didn't do them for the right reason. Oh, you look good on the outside. Boy, you're dead inside. You don't even know me. I'm your dad. We've been together this whole time and you act like I've treated you like a slave? No. No, that's just your perspective, my son. I have ready to lavish love on you just like your brother, but you won't even let me. Let's close it out. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Let's finish here. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Do people really turn around and change? Do people really get refreshed by God and saved and healed? Do people really come home? Yeah, they do. They do. God is that powerful, that loving, and His love draws them back. Do you know someone that has come back? Yeah, it's you. You understand, all of us, here's what I think would be awesome. Now, I can't do this, probably due to legality reasons, but it would super be super fun. Uh, let's do a big rolling screen of before and after of everyone here. Who you used to be and who you are now, right? And let's just kind of scroll through all the sins of your past and just kind of roll those on so we all get a feel for what you were rescued from, right? And then we'll just talk about how, what God has made you now. And that's the whole church. That's everybody. That's saying, yes, Jesus has rescued every single one of us that are in here in some way or another. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be here. You wouldn't be listening to the word of God if he wasn't chasing after you and loving you and caring for you, right? So yes, he's bringing you home. That's awesome. And yes, people do transform by God's power, not by just wanting to be better. And we're going to read that story as we finish. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered the beautiful, wealthy city of Jericho, about 20 miles outside of Jerusalem, and he was passing through, and seriously, check this out, there was a man named Zacchaeus. 
He was a chief tax collector, and man, was he loaded. Chief tax collector is not just a tax collector. It's that you manage tax collectors. So you run toll things. They're on a crossroads to the east side of the Jordan. They're at a crossroads from Jerusalem outside. They're already a wealthy city. And if you run an extortion business in a trade route over other extortionists, and you are going to be super wealthy. So this guy is absolutely loaded, but everyone hates his guts. What he does for a living, nobody likes because he's in cahoots with the Romans. So all the Jews hate him. And this is a Jewish city. And everybody knows he's been ripping them off, but they can't prove it. And it doesn't matter. So everyone can't stand this guy, but he's wealthy. Watch what happens. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. And on account of the crowd, he could not. Why? They're not letting him through. There's no way. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your wealth is. We'll just crowd you out. We don't like you. Get it through your head. And he could not see through because he was what? Small in stature. a little guy. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore mulberry tree to see Jesus. For Jesus was about to pass that way. All right, a sycamore tree is similar to almost like on the coast of the cypress trees or whatever. They have a short trunk and then they kind of go out gradually up. They're really easy to climb. But here's the reality. Remember, this is an adult male. An adult male in ancient Middle East does not run and does not climb trees. You don't climb trees in a dress. Every lady knows that. <laughs> right? What's he doing? He doesn't care. And what he's doing is he's been reduced in his desperation to a child. That's what kids do. Kids run through crowds. Kids climb trees. And notice that his passion to have to see Jesus made him like a little child. Is it no wonder that Jesus brought little children in and he said, unless you become like this, we're not doing anything. Zacchaeus was being transformed. He knew that in that moment, something was changing in his life and he had to see Christ. And so he's just diving and pursuing and darting around and running up ahead and climbing a tree. And here comes Jesus. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, you got to hurry up and get down here. I have to stay at your house today. Wait, wait, who's pursuing who? Right? I mean, Zacchaeus thought he was doing all this stuff to get next to Jesus. And the whole time Jesus is like, bam, right where I needed you. I'm going to stay at your house. I knew you'd be there because I wanted you right there because I've been chasing you down. And I will make sure that you are rescued today. So he hurried down and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, all those religious guys, they all kept grumbling. Oh, great. Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. They all wanted him to go to hell. They hated him. But Jesus didn't. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, seriously, Lord, check this out. The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. There is a whole restitution concept in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. This guy is way over the top. The only way you were ever supposed to pay fourfold was if you did robbery with violence and destruction. 
He's like, I don't care. I will give half my stuff away. Everyone else, I'm going to pay a ton more than I ever needed to. Why is that critical? Because you understand that he used to use people to gain money. Now his money doesn't matter at all. Jesus is more important than his money. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? The guy who also was super loaded, but he was really morally righteous. He comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, you have a money problem. Get rid of all of it and follow me. And he went away sad because he couldn't do that. This guy, who's all corrupt as all get out, is just like, I'm all in with Jesus, right? And then just starts throwing his money. He doesn't care because Jesus is his everything. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. You need to know two things. Number one, God loves you personally and passionately, right? And number two, he's calling you to connect. You need to answer the call, okay? He is whispering to you. He's putting things in your mind. He's laying things on your heart. He's whispering and whispering and whispering. Sometimes he sends you to a church where the preacher yells. His love for you is so great that he wants you home. Let's praise the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. You are glorious and loving and kind. You are compassionate and gracious and forgiving. And we want you to know, God, that we see your loving efforts. We see how you woo us. We see how you keep getting our attention. We see your patience as we keep messing up. Lord, some of us are lost, lost, and we're not coming home until you grab us. Some of us, Lord, are disconnected because we're just stupid. Some of us, Lord, are disconnected because we're rebellious. God, would you work with us for what we need to be able to be fully connected to you right here, right now. God, change our hearts that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to let you know that Lance and the prayer team are going to go into the community hall. If you have anything on your heart that you need prayer for, we would love the opportunity to pray for you. God bless you.